Hey there, and welcome to my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, and this is another episode chock full of nonsense about movies, TV shows, about faith, books, science fiction and fantasy, and technology. But since you've been listening to this for a while, you already know that. I'm about to waste another hour of your life. <laughs> so sit back and relax. Oh, it was a good week. I've uh, done a lot of week. Actually, it was a good week. I'm talking about last week as I'm recording this uh, on Monday. No, I'm recording this on Tuesday. That's how quickly time goes by. Uh, yesterday, I had a very, very busy day full of interesting meetings and planning. Um, and last week was uh, also quite, actually quite, quite good in terms of uh, and, and yielded most of its results in the final few days. Like during the weekend, I all of a sudden had tons of ideas that I worked out for uh, for the the television programs that I make for the, the the social media activities for YouTube so I don't know I'm just in this creative mode um, and that that is that's always a good mode to be in I'll talk a little bit more about those plans and upcoming projects uh, on my other show which is called the walk and you can find that over at tridio.com that's t-r-i-d-e-o.com slash the walk um, I've been posting a lot of vlogs, in case you've missed it, on social media and also on YouTube, uh, about my that I filmed during my trip to Scotland, England. And uh, right now, I'm on the island of Iona. Well, actually, not right now, but in the videos, I am. Uh, and there's still a lot of vlogs that are uh, coming soon. One features uh, Highlander cows. <laughs> That's going to be the next one. So if you don't want to miss my updates there, and some people actually think that I'm still in Scotland. Like the other day, I was uh, I was streaming a Let's Play stream on YouTube, which I finally uh, managed to get going. So I'm going to do more gaming on on YouTube because that's another great way to hang out with, with folks. So I'm currently playing Fallout New Vegas, which is uh, uh, a game that was created by Obsidian for Bethesda. Bethesda is the kind of the publisher. Uh, Obsidian was the company that made that game, and it's still considered to be a classic game, uh, one of the most amazing uh, RPG adventures out there. There's a lot of very good storytelling, and Obsidian just came out with a new uh, uh, game after many years. It's called The Outer Worlds. It's getting rave reviews, um, but it's still very expensive because it's brand new. So I went back and and and... I now play their classic, which you can pick up for a couple of bucks. And the fun thing is, while I'm streaming, a lot of people are helping me in the chat. So they're telling me, oh, you could do this, and oh, did you pick that and that weapon or, or stat or whatever. And it's so it's communal gaming, and that's the first time that I've done that. And it's a, it's a, this is the kind of game that I think lends itself very well to streaming because you can really have a conversation while you're playing, whereas with these first-person shooters... I am so bad at them. And then you're constantly, you know, you have to be on the edge uh, of your seat. Well, I'm actually, there's so much going on that there is just no way to read the comments and to interact. So it's, I'm glad that I finally found a game which enables me to uh, have a conversation and, and have this, this interaction. So it's a lot of fun. But some people told me, look, how can you be streaming this game when you're on the island of Iona? Are you in a bed and breakfast or something like that? I was like, no, I'm already home. This is stuff that I filmed but couldn't upload at the time because there are entire parts of Scotland where you have no cell phone coverage, so let alone internet coverage. So uh, I decided to just film everything, and now I'm posting it. So go over to Father Roderick on YouTube if you want to see those videos. You know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. 
Face it, Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I forgot to mention that this episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons, and uh, it's a community of people that support me on a monthly basis with a small donation, and that's how I can keep these shows advertisement-free. And if you follow me on YouTube, you may have noticed also no ads. I always turn off the ads. I hate it when I'm watching a video and all of a sudden there's a huge banner like covering half of the screen and there are all sorts of other ads. And of course, it's all, you know, Google. So it's it, they know exactly what I've been uh, researching during the day. So it's I don't want that stuff on my YouTube page. But of course... I need to somehow generate an income that enables me to do this work. And so that is why these patrons are so helpful. Literally, they're helping me do this work. And if you want to join them, go over to patreon.com slash fatherroderick. And the little bit of news that I have for my patrons is that I have rethought the entire interaction with the patrons. And uh, you know that if you sign up as a patron, you can uh, sign up for smaller amounts, to bigger amounts, and then you have these tiers, so those are kind of rewards for, or I always call them thank you, but it's not really a reward. People usually uh, sponsor me because they believe in what I do, and they find it important, and they enjoy it. But I always want to give something back, because that's part of being a community. You share stuff. So they share something with me, I share something with them. So I already did the podcast, but I've now set up, and this is so cool, um, uh, a, a Discord server. And if you're like me, you'd have no idea what that is. Gamers immediately know what that is. Discord is a kind of a, like a chat room, forum-like environment. It's free. Um, and it's great. It's so awesome. It feels a lot like Slack, uh, Microsoft Slack, which is used... Uh, almost everywhere and so many companies we use it also at Tridio to communicate and so it's just as easy to use but it is much more powerful even than slack and so uh, of course kind of for, for different environment but i what i do now is uh if people become patrons i'm going to give them access to that discord server so we can have our little community our online community and we can chat even beyond the live streams because now the community meets while i'm streaming this and if you miss it or you're too late then there's no way to join the conversation and i know that a lot of you are unable to view these live streams because well they have a life <laughs> because they have a job because they are sleeping while i'm streaming and with discord all these problems fall away so i'm still in the process of setting that up i've also uh, uh implemented a, or i'm going to implement a lot of new ideas for the the existing patrons um, and I hope to have everything in place in a couple of days from now. So keep an eye on that. And uh, But just to let you know, there's a little bit of news. Uh, I want the patron community to really become more of a community. And the Discord server was just one of those tools that was missing in the picture. I was like, how can I interact more with my supporters, ask them questions, they can give me feedback, ideas... Well, if you just use the patron website, it's super slow. It's uh, kind of cumbersome to use that. It's not this direct communication. With Discord, you can totally do that. You can even have voice chats for, for patrons. So um, if you're considering, if you are already are a patron, or if you're considering becoming one, take a look at Discord. So it's D-I-S-C-O-R-D. You can install a client on your computer or just a website. Create a create a uh, an account, 
and you can already even before I you know I give you the access to the Discord server for the patrons, you can already check out so so many other discussion groups, um, and and just play around with it. It's free and it's it's a really really interesting uh, piece of software. Oh, by the way, you can also use Discord in a browser, so you don't even have to install software, but. The apps are there because you can use it on almost any platform. So you can use it on a phone, on an iPad, uh, on a laptop, on a regular PC. So, um, yeah, it was a big discovery. I always thought that disc- it sounded something super techy and nerdy and way too complicated for, for simple people like me. But turns out it's actually very, very easy to install. <laughs> Not like movies. They're predictable. Like... The guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Tick-tock, You hear that? That's the clock. That's the countdown clock to the launch of Disney Plus for the rest of the world. Unless you've been... So lucky to live in the Netherlands, where we got it, access to Disney Plus, uh, I don't know, a while ago. Um, for the rest of the world, Disney Plus, or no, I shouldn't say for the rest of the world, there's still a lot of my followers that won't have access to Disney Plus right away. But for a number of countries, November 12th is going to be the launch of Disney Plus. I was surprised to see that some of the movies that we can watch here in the Netherlands will be unavailable in, uh, in, for instance, in the United States. So, for instance, The Last Jedi won't be on Disney Plus in the first few months. And that is because it's already on, I think, on Netflix. They have some uh, ongoing contracts with other streaming platforms. So there may be stuff missing that we in the Netherlands can watch because The Last Jedi is just on Disney Plus. That's the only place where you can watch it. They... And, and now I start to understand why all of a sudden all the, the Marvel and the Disney stuff was disappearing very rapidly from Netflix. They probably had another deal with Netflix in the Netherlands, and they already knew that they were going to do this, this pilot uh, uh, in, in the Netherlands. And so that's why they took those movies offline much earlier than the rest of the world. The month of November is also the start of Apple's new streaming service called Apple TV+. Plus. And uh, they launched deliberately, I think, uh, just 12 days before the launch of Disney+, Plus, hoping, of course, to get still a lot of people signing up for they, they With the price, they even went below the price that um, uh, Apple, no, that uh, Disney is asking. So I think it's five bucks, and if you just bought an iPad or a phone, then it's, you could get it for free for a year. There's only a seven-day trial. Um, so that's not very generous. Most of the streaming services give you at least two weeks. But then again, in one week, you can watch a lot because there's almost nothing on it right now. There are like four major shows, and then there's a little bit of you know, some smaller stuff like Snoopy. And, but um, uh, it is a very... I, I thought that Amazon Prime was limited in what they offer. And here, over here in the Netherlands, it is super, super small. They're... they're uh, uh, let's say their their offerings are a few of the stuff things that they make themselves and most of the movies that they have are very old and very bad so anyway that's probably why uh, uh, amazon prime in the netherlands is only four bucks so it's even cheaper than apple Um, but since apple is low price and they only have a very very few and they don't even uh, have the first season online they're posting those seasons uh, I think for most of the bigger shows, they now have posted three episodes. So you can do a little bit of binge watching, but then you have to wait 
week after week for the new episode to get published. Um, and that, of course, is to prevent people from signing up for just two weeks and then you know watching everything and then uh, unsubscribing again. Um, so I, I guess that's going to be a trend for more of those platforms. But it is, it's it's a very very small uh, lineup. It didn't. Not everything got rave reviews. Actually, there were, a lot of the critics were very uh, negative about the their biggest show, which is called the Morning Show. Mostly because that show has such a, a massive massive budget. I think every episode has a budget of fifteen million, and you can't tell from the show itself. Uh, a lot of people find it a bit boring, a bit long, a bit slow. Um, so it's definitely not the... the. And other people may like it, but it's not the runaway hit that uh, Apple hoped it would be. There was one series that I absolutely wanted to check out, and that may be, for me, the only reason to get Apple TV+. And that is Ronald D. Moore's show. Ronald D. Moore is one of my favorite TV ep- uh, episodes, uh, TV writers, producers, directors. Um, and I think I talked about his work also in my newest Star Wars show, which, by the way, should be in the in the news category. But I started an, a Star Wars show, a weekly Star Wars show on YouTube. This was because I got so many questions about Star Wars. Every time I go online, people ask me about Star Wars. I was like, well, why don't I just do a weekly chat Uh, about Star Wars on YouTube. So if you go to my uh, Star Wars playlist on YouTube, you'll see the first episode, and then every week I'm just going to chat. And it's very casual, you know, not going to do like this big educational series about Star Wars, but it is just a way to hang out uh, with with like-minded fans and, and talk about Star Wars. So in that show, I talked a lot about Uh, my dream that one day Ronald D. Moore will direct either a television series uh, in the world of Star Wars or perhaps even a feature movie. Right now he's been been allowed to make a TV series for Apple. I watched the first episode yesterday evening and it's called For All Mankind. And what triggered me is that this happens to be about space, about uh, uh, the race to the moon and beyond it, and it's alternate history. So it's a little bit like the man in the high castle. What if, you know, Japan had won the war? What if the Germans had won the Second World War? What would the world look like? And um, that's that's a big thing right now, alternate history. Maybe because we actually live in an alternate history. You may have noticed that we are now living in exactly the weeks and the months that you that are the time period for the opening of Blade Runner. Blade Runner opens with this shot of L.A. in 2019 and these flying uh, police cars. And you see how polluted everything is, how busy that city is. And that opening shot was always something like, oh, maybe the future is going to be bleak like this. Um, But now this week, I think this past week, is actually the time frame for Blade Runner. So a lot of people are like, oh, we just live in an alternate in alternate history, or Blade Runner itself is no longer, you know, about the future. It's, it's about an alternate timeline. What if? And so that's what they do with this new series on Apple TV Plus as well. It's called For All Mankind. Of course, that refers to uh, the race to the moon. And uh, the, uh, the, 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 the story idea is that what if the Russians landed on the moon before the Americans? What if the first man on the moon was not uh, 
uh, Aldrin and, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Come on. Why is my brain always leaving me behind when I need them? Uh, Neil Armstrong. Uh, but it was instead uh, a cosmonaut. And that's exactly how the, the story opens. Uh, you see the, the moon landing by the Russians. And that completely changes everything. Like everyone working at NASA, preparing the next few space missions, Apollo 15, etc. It's all in jeopardy because the, the whole thing may, may well be canceled. And so the series is about what if. And what if the space race would have continued after they went to the moon? And that, I think, is so perfect for a, a creative writer like Ronald D. Moore. And I started watching this and I was super excited about the way the whole show looks. This looks like classic quality sci-fi TV. It's very well produced. It's very well acted. And it has this Ronald D. Moore flavor to it. And I miss that. I totally miss But the first half hour of the show, I was like, I can totally tell that this is Ronald D. Moore. He not only produced the show, but he also wrote the show with a few other writers. And you can tell it, it focuses on characters you care for what happens to them it's believable and yet it always has this very broad exciting context of the the you know going to the moon um you can tell that it is a tv show because of some of the special effects there are some green screen blue screen situations where you're like ah, yeah that looks a bit a bit cheap but it works i mean the storytelling is great um and i'm hooked after just the first episode, I'm totally hooked and I want to see this entire season. So for me, that is something that Apple did very well. I don't know if it's enough for people to subscribe to Apple TV+. Plus, But I'm thinking, I'm just you know, counting uh, how many months is this going to be on Apple TV+, Plus? how much will that cost me? Let's say it cost me 15 bucks because it's three months and then I'll see, I've seen the entire first season. I'd probably pay 15 bucks to see that series, to have that series on DVD or on Blu-ray. Because it's so good. So, you know, and you get the rest as a bonus. I haven't even checked out the C and uh, the morning show. And then there's this fourth show and everybody's talking about. Anyway, so I like what I see. And for me, Ronald D. Moore is definitely uh, what sells the service to me. I don't know how it is for you, but... Uh, I think it's great, and I hope for all of, all of you that don't want to subscribe to Apple TV+, Plus, um, that it will be available on Blu-ray uh, afterwards, because it's it's classic Ronald D. Moore, and, and we know what he can do with TV. We've seen Battlestar Galactica, we've seen Deep Space Nine, uh, uh, Outlander. Speaking of another series that I definitely have to go back to, now that I've been again to Scotland for the third time, I want to go see Outlander. Uh, I've, I've watched the first season and then I kind of lost track of the story. But I can't get enough uh, of, of, of Ronald D. Moore TV. One final uh, uh, movie-related thing. I'm going to keep that for my sci-fi and fantasy segment. But first, let's take a look at the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! And here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their strange Christian traditions, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. Oh, meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? 
And today I want to go back to uh, a very important topic, and that is the relationship between faith and science. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So as a child, I was a massive fan of the series uh, made by Carl Sagan. Um, and I'm talking about prehistoric times when you all weren't even born yet. So uh, <laughs> Carl Sagan made a very important, a very famous series about the, uh, about the cosmos. It was called Cosmos, and it was about astronomy. And it was, for that time, super ambitious. It had lots of special effects. He was walking around in some kind of spaceship and he was explaining a lot about astronomy uh, but he also really presented it in a super interesting visually very exciting way and as a kid I was so into uh, you know uh, the, the space shuttle program um, the whole Apollo I had like my entire room was covered with posters of rocket ships and everything uh, and my brother was very much into astronomy so the both of us we were always talking about you know stars and and faraway planets and uh, the voyagers uh, the you know the moon landers the the Martian exploration etc. So that series for me at the time I was in high school came at exactly the right moment and I loved it. What I didn't really notice at the time was how um, sometimes a little bit new agey it could become. <laughs> it was a, there was not there was no religion in it. Um, but it was a little bit, sometimes a bit vague, a bit, I don't know. Carl Sagan was a, a very interesting kind of guy. Later, of course, we got much more of that sort of content, especially now on streaming platforms. There are so many of these documentary series. Uh, they even did a reboot of, of uh, Cosmos uh, with, was it with Neil, DeGru Neil deGrasse Tyson? Is that how you pronounce his name? Which was a little bit more... Um, agnostic uh, and it's and also in his own books and in, in, in TV show appearances that I've seen with him he seems to be not very much uh, convinced that religion has any place in astronomy or in science at all and that's something that I've noticed a lot in these more scientific programs um, I've I have yet to see good television shows or uh, documentaries that not only you know, make room for uh, religious views on the universe or on science, but even don't even mention the incredible uh, importance of Catholic scientists in the development of science in general and astronomy as well. There were so many Catholic astronomers that have contributed uh, so much to our current science and, and our knowledge about the stars and about the universe. But it's almost as if that is a taboo. You can't mention that because God forbid that religion, you know, starts to mingle with science as if these two are opposite. And I think that is mostly because of the American situation, North America, where the evangelical churches have a very strong bias against science. You have these entire museums that are dedicated to basically uh, a denial of uh, evolution um, that uh, take the Bible literally um, as if it was a, you know, uh, an eyewitness uh, report on how God created the moons and the stars in exactly seven days. But of course, as you know, 
if you've been listening to the show for a while, that's absolutely not the way the Catholic Church looks at the, these biblical stories of creation, and it's certainly not the way that 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 Catholic Church treats science. Uh, many popes have said, and, and many theologians, science and faith are not exclusive, are not, you know, opposites. They're all, they are totally compatible and should be totally compatible because both of them are looking for truth and knowledge. It's that Science talks about empirical things, things that we can see, touch, measure, calculate, whereas uh, theology, religion, talks about meaning. Why? About what, where to? What is the purpose of this? That is something that a scientist can ever say. A scientist can describe what's happened, can explain it, can analyze it, can speculate on the basis of what we know and uh, figure out things just by using your brain. But a scientist can never say, well, what is the purpose of all of this? It, it, and, and that is, and, and, and religion, you can't, you, that is why you shouldn't take, let's, let's say, a religious book like the Bible as a scientific book, because that's not <laughs> what religion is for. But the two of them, can, they, they can never contradict each other. And then I think religion, in the Catholic view, always is the humble party. Always, whatever we discover, and we didn't know yet, we can't deny that just because it doesn't fit our current worldview. And look at the way the Catholic Church has evolved over time in accepting what astronomers um, found and what they were able to prove. And of course, there's always, you know, at first there's like the, the world, our whole worldview changes and we need to adapt. And then there is... The church is also a human institution. There is this, this, this you know, defensive attitude among some of them. Um, but over time, church has always welcomed science. That is, I think, what explains also the current attitude of the Catholic Church towards uh, the environment and, and uh, climate change. The Catholic Church is not ideological in that, even though it's been uh, accused by certain groups uh, of of being very partisan, very liberal, and they use all sorts of political terms for the church. But the, the, the Catholic Church looks at science like we all are supposed to do. And science proves that, that our climate is changing. There are things you can't deny uh, because they're scientifically proven and you have to take that into account. And you need to adapt your worldview and also your behavior if you don't want the results that science predicts will happen based on what we already know. So the the Catholic Church is, is very, very, uh, not only just open for science, but a promoter of scientific research and also promoter of astronomy. I was talking about that uh, just the other day during a meeting uh, with the, between the bishops and uh, the representatives of the broadcasting company that I work for, the Catholic Protestant Broadcasting Company on Dutch TV. And one of the bishops said that he noticed that there's almost no science on TV anymore. Uh, there are no documentaries, there's no scientific debate. And that is, I think that's true. It's because science doesn't always yield the best numbers in viewership. doesn't mean you have, don't have to do that, especially if you're public television to public radio. Then you also have an educational 
task or mission. And so they were kind of brainstorming, oh, what could we do? And uh, Well, at least the bishops were brainstorming. And then, of course, they come up with these ideas because they, they don't work in television. Of, oh, we could have a debate between, let's say, a Catholic scientist and an atheist scientist, and you could have a very interesting discussion. And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't make for a good TV show. That's not going to fly. And then all of a sudden, while they were discussing all these ideas where I was like, mm, yeah, I, I understand what you want and I understand why it's important, but it's still you still need to make TV. You need to tell stories. You need to make this appealing to people. Otherwise, nobody will watch it. And then, you know, <laughs> you're just left with programs that nobody, that you produce for nothing. But while they were talking, I, I thought back of a, a, a conversation that I had while, while I was visiting the Jesuit headquarters in Rome uh, during the summertime. And uh, I visited Robert Balasser, uh, who is a Jesuit from the United States, from the West Coast. And he used to work at the TV network with Leo Laporte. And uh, a, a, a great talent when it comes to technology, uh, new media, um, just being able to educate people through through modern media like podcasting, and he's been he's been transferred to Rome where he's now uh, living with you know at the, at the Jesuit headquarters, and uh, we had a short conversation because he had some other appointments that day, uh, where we brainstormed during dinner over why don't we get together with uh, with uh, guy Consalmagno who is the Vatican's astronomer is an American uh, Jesuit, but uh, he works in the Vatican in Rome. He's also a great educator. And why don't we come up with something with a television show or a documentary about the about astronomy, about the discovery of space, but also about the role of religion in in that scientific process and show people that there is, in, at least in the Catholic world, no opposition between science and faith. I mean, the, the, uh, Guy Consolmagno is one of the examples of that. He's a very serious, uh, um, uh, even he, he received a couple of awards, awards, uh, you know, not even you know, Catholic awards, but in general for, for his skills as a scientist, as an educator. And why don't we reconcile these two worlds for the world in a quality show. I thought I never really followed up on that since that conversation, but now I'm fired up to go back and to continue that conversation because I think that that is, I think there is a huge interest in stuff like that and it could be a lot of fun to make. So anyway, just want us to ramble on a little bit about faith and science and how I look at that. But I also want to do something with it and, and uh, help people understand how that... It, it must be frustrating to explore the universe and to know so much. You know, what, what purpose does it have to, to, to go to the moon or go to Mars if it doesn't really have a purpose? If it doesn't have... You know, why do we do that? What do we learn? How can we... And of course, there are scientific discoveries that we can use in you know the development of science and technology here on Earth. But but there, you know, what is the purpose of this universe that surrounds us? Why is it so big? Why are we so small? Are we lost in the universe? What if we find aliens? How how is that going going to impact our worldview and our 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 religious beliefs? Those are so interesting. Those questions are so interesting. I think they warrant. Uh, a TV show or, or, or something of a production. Anyway, I'll keep you up to speed with my plans. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. 
the extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Reading, I did a lot of reading. Or at least I listened to a couple of audiobooks. Um, and I want to mention two of them that I'm currently reading and enjoying quite a bit. The first one is written by one of my favorite comedians. Uh, she had the main role in Parks and Rec, uh, Parks and Recreation, uh, that I'm currently watching on Amazon Prime, and it's hilarious. And it is uh, Yes, Please. It is uh, an autobiography, and it's so funny. And uh, it's a very, very personal story of, you know, just random stuff. But it is it's making me laugh quite a bit. It's, it's, and I always like these insights in kind of the personal lives of the people you only know from their characters. And then, of course, there's always a little bit of a, uh, something in common with the character that they play. Uh, most of the time, there, there is a synergy between the real person and the character they play. Um, at least that's usually when they're at their best, when you know there's a bit of both of the actor and, uh, and of the person in the role that they play. So I'm really enjoying that. It's so super funny. And then I'm reading another book at the same time, and that is Maybe the best Star Wars book that I've read so far. You know that Star Wars is not just the movies and TV shows. also has this expanded universe where writers for many decades, well, many decades, a couple of decades, have been writing expanded stories based on kind of the canon that we knew uh, of the movies. Uh, and then just continued the stories of Luke Skywalker and Leia and Han and their kids and whatnot. Now, a lot of that expanded universe has been negated by Disney when they took over. They stopped that particular canon and started an alternate canon like an alternate timeline and then the existing stories were relegated to the mythology of star wars so it's like more of kind of a like a what if status and then because they wanted to go in a different direction with the sequels to star wars they developed this new canon timeline where uh writers are again invited to re-establish uh, uh, the canon and they they uh, one of my favorite writers or Maybe my well, Timothy Zahn, Timothy Zahn is also one of my favorite writers in that expanded universe. But Claudia Gray is maybe what I enjoy reading even more than Timothy Zahn. Uh, she has a, such a good grip on the character development, and Star Wars is all about the characters. It's not about the spaceships or the special effects or the the lightsabers. It's all about the people that inhabit that universe and you want to have a connection with them. And she goes back to the story of Qui-Gon Jinn and his apprentice Obi-Wan Kenobi or Ben Kenobi. And this, so this takes place before the events in The Phantom Menace. And we learn more about that relationship between the master and the apprentice. And it's so well written. And not only well written, it's also read very well. This is where I think the audiobook definitely has an edge over the written version. Because the, the guy who tells the story, who reads the story, nails his impression of Liam Neeson. The voice is almost identical. It's like, it looks like they, it sounds as if they took sound clips from the movies, but I know that they didn't. And then he also does a very, very good Obi-Wan Kenobi and Ewan McGregor. And that alone makes this audiobook so fantastic because you're like, wow, this, I see a movie in my head. That is how well it is read. Um, and the story is gripping. Sometimes with these expanded universe books, the first first chapter is like, ugh. Come on, guys, get it over with. Get, or you're introduced to a lot of new characters, like five aliens, three ambassadors, two Nemoidians, and then they're like, ah, I'm confused, and who is everyone, and I don't know anyone in this story. That's how I usually kind of 
stop reading books. This one is straight into a familiar situation. It is Obi uh, Wan Kenobi with his master Qui Gon Jinn in a nego- negotiation setting with a hut. I think, yeah, it was with a hut. So you're like immediately blending the scenes on the Nemoidian uh, Trade Federation ship and and uh, the scenes in you know of Luke Skywalker negotiating with Jabba the Hut in the Return of the Jedi. You kind of your your brain merges that together, and you see you're watching a movie, and you feel this this is familiar. This is something that I could have seen in in, in a movie form. I haven't. But that's how I can connect immediately to the story, and I want to know what happens next. So highly, highly recommend it. It's called Master and Apprentice. So far, it's my favorite book written by Claudia Gray. With that, I don't know what the next topic is going to be. I think it's science, but I didn't prepare anything for my science topic. That's why I'm very happy that this is a very long intro. So I can just quickly browse over to Google News <laughs> and read what's going on in the world of science and technology. No, technology is later, I think. Okay, what, what do we have? A wine cellar in space? I see aliens. <laughs> Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? Go to shape. I mean, you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need ya! So if we ever encounter aliens in space, then we now have a drink to pour them to toast on our future collaboration. <laughs> According to this news article on Associated Press, a dozen bottles of fine French wine arrived at the space station on Monday, not for the astronauts, but for science. The red Bordeaux wine, according to this article, will age for a year up there before returning to Earth. Researchers will study how weightlessness and space radiation affect the aging process. The goal is to develop new flavors and properties for the food industry. (laughs) That is so cool. Each bottle is packed in a metal canister to prevent breakage. Yeah, that would be a shame if it arrives and then it's... (laughs) It's all broken. Universities in Bordeaux, France, and Bavaria, Germany, are taking part in the experiment. It is from the experiment stems from a Luxembourg startup. Winemaking uses both yeast and bacteria and involves chemical processes, making wine ideal for space study, says one of the researchers uh, in a company video. The space-aged wine will be compared to Bordeaux wine of the same origin, probably on Earth, and what's left will go to those who helped pay for the research, according to a company spokeswoman. Huh. That's why there are 12 bottles. They probably just needed one, and then the 11 scientists are like, okay, can we put another bottle in there? (laughs) I mean, a bottle of wine that has aged in space. Imagine how much money you could make on eBay. (laughs) As for high-flying wine cellars, this actually isn't the first. A French astronaut took along a bottle of wine, why am I not surprised, (laughs) aboard shuttle Discovery in 1985. (laughs) I've got a very important scientific experiment uh, in the form of this bottle, and the experiment requires me to take a sip every day with a bit of uh, cheese after dinner. And while you suck on your, uh, your astronaut food... I will celebrate my time in space in the only proper way to do it, the French way. We are on the cutting edge of technology. 
Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Hey, there should have been one more thing in the previous topic about science and science fiction, and that is the news about Fantastic Beasts finally getting greenlit uh, for production, and it will start uh, next year in 2020. Of course, uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is the sequel, what's actually, those are prequels, but taking place in the Harry Potter universe. Um, And the franchise was a little bit in trouble because the last movie, the second one in the Fantastic Beasts, uh, series didn't perform very well at the box office. That was, they brought in a new screenwriter, an extra screenwriter, because uh, J.K. Rowling had been writing the screenplays for the first two movies, but they brought back the Harry Potter screenwriter, uh, Steve Cloves, to rewrite and continue to develop the story for the third movie. Steve Cloves helped to adapt the original Harry Potter books into films um, and there are many interviews available on the, let's say the extras on the DVDs and on the Blu-rays and he seems like someone who's a just a really good storyteller, not necessarily someone who is very versed in the world of Harry Potter, but he knows what makes a good story and I think that sometimes J.K. Rowling kind of got carried away with all the chess pieces she, she was putting into place in the second movie and that's why it didn't really work that well because it was just putting stuff in place for future developments, and that never makes for a good story. It's very hard to pull off um, a middle movie. That is why The Empire Strikes Back, when people ask me, what is your favorite Star Wars movie? I say, Empire Strikes Back. Why? Because it's one of the few movies that I know that puts stuff in place for the finale and still makes for a fantastic movie. And that is a really, really hard thing to pull off. So uh, Fantastic Beasts will be sh- begin shooting in the spring of 2020 and will be in theaters a y- more than a year later on November the 12th, 2021. And it will also take place, it will have all the familiar actors. Um, not everybody will be happy about that because uh, there was quite a bit of uh, uh, criticism on uh, Johnny Depp's role because of his personal affair, uh, problems or there was a lot going on between him and his ex-wife. And uh, so a lot of fans kind of really didn't want him to feature in the second movie. They will still reprise their roles and the movie will take place in Brazil. Uh, at least part of the movie will take place in Brazil. So that's interesting. And that's one of the things I like about Fantastic Beasts is no longer confined to just the UK. Um but it enables J.K. Rowling to, you know, go and explore the world and make the movie also much more, I don't know, diverse, culturally more interesting for Harry Potter fans and other non-Western parts of the world. And I think that's good for the story. It's also good for the fans. Since we're still on the topic of, uh, you know, stuff that I should have mentioned before in this show, but I forgot, um, I also also briefly want to mention that I got... uh, and I, I'm very happy with that. I'm very grateful for that. A lot of pushback on my review of, of the Joker, of the movie Joker. Uh, if you've listened to the, the past show, I really didn't like that movie. It made me feel really, really terrible. And it was so bleak and without hope and without any you know moral message. Um, but according to a number of people that, that reacted to my review, that's exactly the point of the movie. 
I read a very good interview uh, or review by uh, a guy named Matthew Becklow, um, where he says this movie is so interesting and so important because it shows you what the world becomes if people are not loved, are not helped, and one of the one of the reasons that this character becomes the Joker. Uh, is because no one helps him and even his meds are taken away from him and then he just encounters violence. And uh, it's a cautionary tale, according to this review. As a cautionary tale, I can understand that it works uh, or that it is important. Still doesn't really make me want to like the movie (laughs) because as a cautionary tale, I also personally, but that's every review is personal, um... I want to hear an alternative. If, if, if you caution me for something, tell me what I should do to prevent this nightmare from happening. And I have to distill that myself, I think, instead of the movie helping me with that. So that's, that's still something that I personally don't like that much. But I'm not, I'm not you, so my personal you know, preference may not be yours. Uh, someone who calls himself uh, Mr. Dom reacts on uh, on Twitter. Uh, Father Roderick, I was disappointed with your review of Joker, but I get the feeling that you've never been around people who suffer from mental illness or had life deal you major life-changing cha- badness. And then he continues in a second tweet, I've been made redundant through divorce and depression that followed. Maybe if I lived a sheltered life and lived only my hobbies and had my paycheck guaranteed, I'd also not understand the Joker movie. So I take that's a bit of criticism of what he perceives to be my world, that I never had any trouble and, you know, my life is all shiny and rosy. Um, of course, that's, that's not the case. And um, I would say I try always to be very careful not to judge people from what I see of them on social media because I've, I've experienced myself how much your social media presence is just a very small portion of your life and what you go through. Um, and you could, you can never conclude that, oh, that person is like this or that because you don't know the lives of people. You don't know what they go through and how they react. Uh, but at the same time, I feel a lot of pain in those tweets and I want to acknowledge that because it's, it's, uh, it's true and it's something that I could have mentioned more in the review. There are people that live, that experience their life right now almost as a nightmare where everything is bleak and dark and they don't see a solution. They don't have much hope that things are going to improve. And this movie may connect with them because it reflects their reality. And I know that that often when we react very strongly to something, it's either because it's, it's, it's something that we can totally not, it's the opposite of what we go through, or it is very similar to what we go through. And then we have, we can connect with, the story or with the person. Even though I say the character in the movie, and this, this may be deliberate on the part of the director, is made in such a way that you can't really... You may feel a little bit of sympathy of the uh, because of all the hardship that this character goes through at first, but in the end, you cannot possibly, you know, like this person or root for him or anything else uh, because he, he deliberately kind of... Uh, d- despite his psychological problems but he also makes choices and the choices are bad choices so that way yes it could be a cautionary story um and then i got another reaction on youtube from one of my followers there 
let me see if I can find that real quick. Um, so that's starting to become a bit complicated. People sometimes are reacting in all these different places, and I forget where I've read what. Okay, so someone calls himself Slice of Scott, writes, the Joker resonates because it's not simply escapist and entertainment. It arrives to be art. It forces the audience to take to look deep within themselves and examine their heart. To say that there is no positive message or hope is to miss the point entirely. That's what I said, basically. It shows us step by step how an ill but well-intentioned man descends into darkness. That is compelling. It's a strong character change. Disney Star Wars is not compelling to a lot of people because the character arcs are all regressive. The Lucasfilms had strong, compelling character changes. For the original characters, those arcs are all undone in the new movies. Luke, Han, and Leia are all regressed to where they were at the beginning of A New Hope. How is that compelling? Especially when there is screen time dedicated to at showing us why they default. I, I don't agree with that at all. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, for me, the the new the sequels actually show how much these characters have grown in different ways. I mean, look, definitely not regressive at all. He has learned a hard lesson of being, you know, thinking that he was the savior and that the force would help him to fix the universe. And then he encounters his own miserable failings and his all his own limitations and his sin in a certain way and that makes him what he is in in the force awakens so that, i mean talking about an interesting story arc leia we haven't seen the end of her story arc but she's definitely no longer the leia that she used to be she is a grand lady she's like the, she's the princess that she couldn't be when she was so young but there is something there's a royalty in her that comes from beyond her own powers it's the force that is in her and her leadership has only grown because of the charism that the force gives her um and han solo uh han solo is maybe the only regressive character in a certain way in his behavior you see that he kind of tried to win to go back to his old smuggling ways but then that is how he fails his family that is how he is maybe co-responsible for the dark direction that his son kylo takes or ben takes so and then also, I think that Han Solo makes a very interesting character development in his whole attitude towards the Force. He goes from, oh, it's all hokey religions and you just give me a blaster instead of a stupid lightsaber, to it's true, all of it. He becomes a believer. I mean, that's a very interesting story arc. And plus, he sacrifices his life, he risks his life to win back his son. I mean, talking about a story arc. I mean, I don't know. So... Uh, I don't. I don't agree with that take on on Star Wars. But anyway, the um, the the point that Slice of Scott wants to make is the Joker is dark and scary. I'm quoting here, but so are the times in which we live. Star Wars should be counterprogramming to Joker, but Star Wars fails to be compelling in ways Lucas movies were. Joker strikes chords deep within us. The mo moments haunt us and force us to confront our behavior. What are we doing to contribute to making people monsters? This would have been an excellent topic for a new Star Wars to tackle. What turned Solo and Skywalker kids to the dark side? Well, isn't that what The Last Jedi does? And what the what these the sequels try to do? They try to show us that Kylo may have never been Kylo Ren if not for the failings of his father, of Luke Skywalker. That makes it interesting. The only redeeming character that may be able to redeem is, is his mother. Continue to love her son. Um, that's maybe how the story is going to end. I don't know. But the question there is, what Star Wars does, or tries to do, and maybe not successfully for all the Star Wars fans, is to tell, to do 
a counter-programming to the desperate hopelessness of a movie like Joker. It's like the one phrase you always have to remember in the Star Wars fairy tale is, there is still good in him. That's what Luke says about his father. There is still good in him. So even if someone falls from grace, that person, as long as he he is alive, can be redeemed. But it's all up to the personal choices of, of those people. Do they want to be redeemed? Do they still have an opening in their heart? The emperor clearly has not. He's the devil because there is no love at all in his heart. It's completely closed. Kylo, he's in between. Is he still redeemable? That's that's the story. So it's a story about hope. Star Wars is always about hope. So I think Star Wars is counter-programming to the hopelessness of, of Joker. And if I have to choose between the two, I choose for Star Wars. I choose for hope. Because that is what gives me energy. That is what helps me to want to turn the world into a more hopeful place. And I think it's more, I don't know, gives me more energy than a movie that just tells me how terrible the world is in which we live. I already knew that. What are you going to do about it? That's the question. And not the question just of culpability. Like, what did we do to create these monsters? Of course, that is examination of conscience. But after, con- uh, it's like confession in the Catholic Church. It's not just pondering on your failings and your sins, the sacrament of confession, of reconciliation, is also about resolve. I regret this, and I want to change my life, and I need energy and help and forgiveness to do that. And I will make the firm resolution to never go back to this darkness. For me, that is that is what I miss in Joker. And maybe it wasn't the purpose of the movie, but well, maybe... This explains a little bit why I reacted, why I gave the review that I give. I also understand where people come from when they say that The Joker is an important movie and is making a very important point. All right, this was supposed to be the technology section, but I completely messed it up by talking about movies. Again, the only thing I wanted to mention in this tech section is that Google has bought Fitbit. And as an owner of a watch that runs on Google... Uh, on the Google uh, mobile OS, I couldn't be happier because uh, that means that that Google wants to invest in wearables. For a while, it looked as if, you know, that was basically a lost cause because Apple dominates the market with the the Apple Watch. And that's never a good thing for consumers, even if you're an Apple fanboy. If you want the Apple Watch to become better, it needs strong competition. And I think with the Fitbit takeover by Google, uh, there is a chance that... um, at least Android power devices will become more versatile and will push Apple also to innovate. That's what I hope, at least for all of us, because, well, you need a little bit of competition to uh, move things forward. Thanks for listening to this episode. As usual, I am also back with more content for my patrons uh, because they get an extra podcast that I record right after this show and then I reply to the comments that are posted in the stream. Um, but that's if you support me just go over to patreon.com slash fatheroderick see you next week